Wow, thanks, Julie. That is such a, such a beautiful song. I just, I just want to pray for us for a minute. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for just the incredible blessing that you gave Julie. And thank you for uh, Joshua. Thank you for Julie's love for him. Thank you for that as a picture of your incredible love for us. And I thank you that no matter what we do, uh, we can never lose that love for you that you have for us. I thank you for all the mothers here. And, and, and Father, I, I pray, uh, especially this morning, for those who maybe um, it's a hurting time, some who have lost mothers, mothers who have lost children, uh, women who wish that they could be mothers. I pr Father, I pray that they would find uh, comfort and hope uh, and peace in, in you, in their relationship with you. And Father, I pray for all the moms here uh, that they would look to you for the strength, for the endurance, uh, for the love uh, for their children as well. And again, thank you so much for your incredible love, for your incredible grace, uh, and for your incredible compassion for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome. Good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Clay. I'm one of the pastors here, and I will be hanging out up front uh, afterwards. If you'd, love to, if you'd like to come up and chat, I'd love to pray with you, love to talk with you, just find out a little bit more about you, and uh, see how we at uh, Renaissance can be a blessing to you. So again, welcome, and especially uh, this morning, if today is your first time here. As Michael mentioned, we're in the middle, or actually nearing the end, of a series uh, that we're calling, Are You Listening? And we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and m many of you are probably familiar with the Lord's Prayer. It begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, etc. And it goes on. And this is really a model prayer, or a pattern for prayer, uh, that Jesus gave for us. And we've been looking at it phrase by phrase over the last month or so. And today we're actually coming to the last phrase, the last sentence in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says that we should pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And as I've been reading and praying through the Lord's Prayer and studying it, thinking about it, thinking about this message, keep coming back to a passage in the Gospel of Matthew that actually occurred uh, probably a few weeks or maybe a couple of months or so before this one. And I think it's very likely that Jesus had this passage in mind when he said this phrase to his disciples, when he encouraged them to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And there's this really, uh, what from, at least from my perspective, is an unusual situation that occurred early on in Jesus' ministry, right after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, led Jesus out into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the devil. And there's this interaction between Jesus, the Son of God, and Satan, who's really the epitome of evil in the world. And there's this interaction between them. And I want to take a look at that because I think it sets up and it helps us to understand at a much deeper level what Jesus is saying when he prays, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I want to take a look at this passage in Matthew chapter 4, and starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which has to be the understatement of the century in Scripture, you know. So the tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift, they'll lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I'll give you if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And as I'm reading this passage, one of the first things that jumps out at me is that I'm standing up here reading a passage that's talking about an interaction between the Son of God and the devil. And in this country, in this society where we are scientifically oriented, where we are enlightened, people just don't normally believe that there's this guy in a red suit with a horns and holding a pitchfork who's trying to get us to sin and get us to do things that are wrong. You know, we're an enlightened scientific society. Who believes in the devil anymore? And, and if you're one of those people who's saying, yeah, I'm not even sure that I believe that God exists, never, never mind the devil. You know, I'm glad you're here this morning because these are questions that I think we need to wrestle with. Does God exist? Is he the all-powerful creator of the universe? Does he love us? Does he care for us? Did he send his son Jesus to be the savior of the world? And what's this whole thing about what's going on here with the devil? And, and if you're not sure about some of these things and you want to talk about it, let me know. I'd love to grab a cup of coffee with you sometime and just kind of talk through these things because that's what we're here for at Renaissance. We want to give people the opportunity to ask questions, to explore, to deal with issues that Sometimes you, you're maybe a little bit hesitant to talk about, but let me know, and I'd love to get together and hang out with you and talk about those things. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't know if I believe in the devil, let me encourage you, suspend your disbelief for just the next half hour or so. Put it aside and say, whether or not the devil actually exists, I do understand that there's temptation in the world. I do understand that there's evil in the world. I do understand that I make choices from time to time that are wrong, and there's something going on behind that. And so suspend your disbelief for just a little while. Take a look at the perspective that, that uh, Scripture, that the Bible is giving us here. But if you believe in God, if you believe in this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good creator and ruler of the universe, why not believe in the devil? Why not believe that there's also a force for evil in this world? Because you look around the world and you see the evil that's going on in the world, and sometimes you just have to ask yourself, is that really all a, 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 a human construct? Is it really all something that is sourced just in us? Or is there something else that's going on behind that? So if God exists, why is it so difficult for us to believe as well that the devil exists and that there's something going on in the unseen realm? And, and what's interesting about this, and, and actually what's, what's kind of challenging about this, is that I believe that Satan is quite happy for us not to believe in him. 
I think he it doesn't you know doesn't bruise his ego if we doesn't think if we don't think that he exists because that just makes it easier for him to do his job. If we don't think he's out there tempting us, challenging us, testing us, putting roadblocks in our way, then it's a whole lot easier for him because we're oblivious to what he's doing. Now I don't want to go so far on the other end of things. And you know sometimes you've seen these movies or you've read these books. You know, I was reading a book once and they were saying that uh, when your car breaks down, it's because there's a demon who's got a sword and he runs it through the engine of your car. I suppose it's theoretically possible, but I, I, you know, my mechanic tells me he's never seen a sword, you know, like a demonic sword in the middle of my, you know, in the middle of my engine. Uh, point being, I don't think we need to look for a demon under every bush, but I do believe that there is a reality that there is the devil out there who is tempt, who tempts us and who tests us and who tries to get us to turn away from God and to try to live independently of God and follow our own agenda rather than following God's. And Jesus believed that Satan existed and he believed that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle and that's why he says to us, pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So then the next question that, that jumped out at me as, I, as I'm looking at this passage is, what's so wrong about some of the things that the devil was suggesting that Jesus do? I mean, think about it for just a minute. Jesus was hungry 40 days, 40 nights without food, without drink. What's wrong with him wanting to eat? What's wrong with him having this desire for food and, and, and for drink. And that's why this temptation was so powerful and why it was so dangerous because in and of itself, the desire that Jesus had for food was not sinful. It wasn't wrong. And I think we need to remember, we need to understand that the temptation itself, the desire itself that we have to do something is not necessarily wrong. It's how we respond. It's what we do when we're in the midst of that temptation that determines whether we're doing something good or we're doing something wrong. The devil didn't say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, let's go get drunk and find some women and go have a good time. Or, or he didn't say, hey, let's go head into Jerusalem and, and, and find some of those Pharisees because I know you don't get along too well with them and let's beat them up together. Wouldn't that be kind of fun for us to do? I mean, those things would have been obviously wrong right off the bat, but saying, Jesus, you're hungry. Why don't you satisfy your need for hunger? At first, that would seem to be a, per, a, a perfectly reasonable thing to do. So the first temptation is about food. The second temptation was about God's care and protection. Jesus, ju jump off the temple. God loves you. He cares for you. He'll protect you, which actually was absolutely true. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with showing the world how much God loves you and how much God cares for you? Wouldn't that be a pretty amazing demonstration of God's love for you. And the third temptation is about power and position. You can be the most powerful person in the world. You can be the ruler of the world. Think of all the good that you could do, Jesus, if you were in this position. And what's interesting about that is God had already promised that Jesus was going to be seen to be the ruler of the universe. And the devil's just saying, how about now? What are you waiting for? Take the opportunity that I'm giving you. Satan was not tempting Jesus to do anything that on the surface was obviously evil. 
And that's the brilliance and also the danger of so many of the temptations that we face because we look at so many of the things that we're tempted to do and we can see that there's good and we can rationalize that, yes, I would be better off if I did this. And those temptations wouldn't be so powerful if we weren't drawn to them because there's something desirable about what's being offered to us. I don't know too many people who, when they were growing up, aspired to be deceitful, aspired to succeed at being liars. Yet all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are tempted from time to time and actually do lie. But it wasn't because we aspire to, to do something evil. It's because we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect somebody else. We rationalize that there's something good that will come from lying. And so we do it. We're tempted to fudge our taxes, not because we think it's a fun thing to do, but because we think that we can use our money better than the government can. And we want to, we want to care for ourselves. We want to care for our families. So I'd rather keep more of my money than letting the government have it. It's good to care for my family, but not by cheating on my income taxes. And we can go on and on with different examples like that. If everything about temptation were obviously evil, then we'd be so much less drawn to it, so much less likely to succumb to it. And a subtle temptation can be so much more successful than an obvious frontal assault. And the problem was not with Jesus' desires. The problem was that the devil was tempting Jesus to elevate his desires above his heavenly Father's desires, to put his agenda above God's agenda. And he was tempting Jesus to meet his legitimate desires, like his desire for food, which was legitimate. He was tempting him to meet his legitimate desires in illegitimate ways, for example, by trying to act independently of God. Jesus is hungry. The devil was suggesting he eat, but he was suggesting that he do it not in the way that God wanted him to do it. God wasn't planning on letting Jesus starve to death. But the devil's saying, hey, maybe God doesn't really care for you. You know what? You can show how amazing you are. Turn these stones into bread, and you'll satisfy your hunger, and you'll look pretty amazing in doing it. That's not what God wanted him to do. God wanted him to look to him, to his heavenly Father, for his bread. Give us this day our daily bread. God is the one who provides. God is the one who provides the strength to work, the job that we have, the skills and the ability, the living in a country with the opportunities that we have, et cetera, et cetera. God wants us to look to him to provide for our daily needs. Jesus knew that God cared for him, and he wants us to know that too, but we shouldn't be daring God to prove his love for us by jumping off of a cliff. Jesus was destined to be the king of the universe. That was God's plan for him. But the path to Jesus' glory was intended to go through the humility and the suffering and the pain of the cross. And the devil's saying, let's just skip all that cross stuff and go straight to the glory and to the power. But the problem with that is that if Jesus had done it that way, then we'd all be lost because without the cross, there's no hope for us. 
And so Satan is trying to short-circuit all of that in order to thwart God's plans, but he's doing it in a way that appears to be good. God wants us to enjoy eating and drinking, but he doesn't want us to turn to food or to alcohol for comfort when ultimately we ought to be turning to him. And it's good for us to have friends other than our spouse. It's good to have friends, even if you're married, to have friends besides your spouse. But we need to be careful that that, that, that friendship doesn't turn into something more when we're facing challenges in our marriages. Having a successful career is something that we, we ought to want. It's something that's good, but we shouldn't sacrifice our integrity in order to have a successful career because then ultimately, how successful are we really if we sacrifice our integrity on the altar of our careers? And temptation comes in so many different forms, but the most dangerous ones are the ones that appear to be good when they begin. They begin with what appear to be good desires, and being aware of the subtleties of the temptations that we face can make it so much easier to avoid falling into them. And so the question I want to ask then is, how do we respond? What do we do when we recognize that we're tempted? And and actually, in some sense, what can we do to prevent, to help ourselves not to fall into temptation? And one of the key things is know yourself. I have to know myself, and I have to know my weaknesses, my areas of vulnerability in order to be able to avoid temptation. What are my areas of vulnerability? Are you ever tempted to lie? Maybe not, you know, this incredible web of deceit, but half-truths or shading the truth or avoiding giving some information to somebody that you know they really need but is going to reflect badly on you. Not because it's your intent to hurt somebody, but because it's your intent to protect yourself. How about stealing? Not necessarily by robbing a bank, but maybe in more subtle ways. Fudging on an an expense report, leaving out something that's important in a contract, whatever it is. How about what other challenges and and temptations might you face? Some people it's lust, others it's greed, others it's, it's substance abuse, and we could go on and on with the list. What are the challenges and vulnerabilities for you? Those that are a potential problem for me may not be for you and vice versa, but we all have areas of relative weakness, areas in which it's a lot easier for us to be tempted and to succumb to that temptation. And knowing what those are make it a little bit easier for us to avoid them. And then ask yourself, when am I most vulnerable? Under what circumstances am I most vulnerable to temptation? Jesus was hungry a vulnerable time. He's hungry, he's tired, he's weak. Of course Satan's going to come and tempt him with regard to food. I look at my life and I know I'm most vulnerable when I'm tired. I don't know whether it's low blood sugar or, or whatever it is, but when I'm tired, when I haven't slept well, when I'm exhausted, especially when I'm mentally exhausted, it is so much more difficult for me to resist temptations that I might otherwise be able to resist than when I'm doing well. When I'm under a lot of stress, when I'm having relationship difficulties with with other people, 
it's a whole lot easier for me to be tempted. Some of you, it's like, nah, no big deal. I have no problem. When someone's mad at me or, or whatever, that's not a big deal. Fine, it is a big deal for me, and I need to know that. Think about your physical conditions. I was talking to somebody the other day who has thyroid problems, and she knows that if her thyroid medication isn't just right, it's a whole lot easier for her to be tempted to go to dark places than she would otherwise. Some people struggle with depression. Yeah, that's gonna make a difference in terms of our vulnerability, diabetes. So many different physical conditions can affect us in the spiritual realm, and we'd be naive to ignore those. So know yourself, know your, your potential areas of weakness, know the circumstances under which you're more likely to be tempted and you're more likely to be weak and you're more likely to succumb to those temptations. Because when we know those areas of weakness and we know those vulnerabilities, then it's a lot easier to deal with them. The alcoholic who recognizes that he or she has an issue with alcoholism is a lot less likely to get in trouble with it than the person who doesn't recognize it or doesn't admit it. So again, we could go on and on with that. Secondly, don't just know yourself. Know God. Know our Heavenly Father because the more we know Him, the closer our relationship to Him is, the easier it's going to be for us to resist temptation because we're going to be so much quicker to turn to him. When you look at what Jesus did, every time that the devil came to him and said, hey, you should turn these stones into bread, Jesus says, yes, but it's written. And he's referring to the, what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the Bible of Jesus' day, which is really what we would refer to as the Word of God. He knew what God said. He knew what God's best was. He knew what God's plan was. He knew what the truth was. So that when the lie, when the half-truth came that was disguised as the truth, Jesus wasn't deceived. He wasn't taken in by it. He wasn't surprised by it. He was able to say, yes, there's some truth in that, but you're leaving this out because he knew what God had said. And he had such a close relationship with his heavenly father that when Satan said, hey, this is the agenda you ought to follow, he says, no, that's not the agenda that my father has for me. And so I'm not gonna go down that path because that's not what my heavenly father intends. And so the same is true for us. The more we know God, the more we saturate ourselves with Scripture. And that's why we so encourage you to spend time on a regular basis reading through the Bible. How else are we going to know what God's best is for us? The closer the relationship we have with God, the easier it is for us to deal with temptation and not to succumb to it. And that brings us right back to the Lord's Prayer. When I'm tempted, when you're tempted, when we're tempted, a great place to go is the Lord's Prayer. And not reciting it as some sort of a ritual or a superstition, you know, and if I recite it the right way uh, or enough times or whatever it is, then I'm going to be able to resist temptation. No, it's not like a magic formula, magic words that we say. It's a pattern that Jesus has given us, and we can follow that pattern when we're tempted. 
The Lord's Prayer starts off, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When I'm afraid, and I do get afraid, when I'm discouraged, and I do get discouraged, I can turn to my heavenly Father, whom I know loves me beyond a shadow of a doubt, whose love I can never lose, and say, Father, I'm afraid. Would you comfort me in this situation? I'm discouraged. Would you lift my spirits? I'm confused. Would you give me guidance? Because I know that I can approach my heavenly Father in those difficult situations. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So often we think our desires are good, and there is some good in them. But if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that there's also an awful lot of selfishness and self-centeredness and, and me and my agenda in my desires. And so when I find myself frustrated and angry because somebody's not doing what I want them to do and I'm tempted to manipulate or to connive or to scheme to try to get what it is that I want, I can stop and I can pray, Lord, I'm trying to advance my own little kingdom, my own agenda. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Change my heart so that my desire is to do what it is that you want me to do and to do it in the way that you want me to do it, not by stepping on people or manipulating them or trying to, to, to beat them into submission to me. Come on. And yet all of us at some times do that in our lives. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. When we remember that God is the one who provides everything that we need, everything that we need, then when we're tempted to compromise our integrity in order to get what we may legitimately need, we can say, no, I don't need to compromise my integrity because I have a God who provides not just for my daily bread, but for so much more, for everything that I ultimately need. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Time and time and time again, I fail. I don't resist the temptation, even though I know, even though I've seen it coming. Sometimes I don't resist that temptation. And then I feel guilty. And then I'm tempted to withdraw from God. Then I'm tempted to give up because it's the same thing over and over again. Why keep trying? And maybe God doesn't love me anymore or he's so angry with me that I have to stay away from him for a while and I'm tempted to withdraw from him. But then I come back to this, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. God says, don't hesitate. Come to me. Confess your sin. I am eager. I want you to come. I want to forgive you. I want to have that restored relationship with you. So when I'm tempted not to do that, come back to the Lord's Prayer and say, Lord, forgive my debts. Forgive me for falling into that temptation yet again. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And knowing, knowing that God knows 
that I'm tempted, that God knows that there is a battle going on for my heart and for my mind. And knowing that I can turn to him for help, for protection, for deliverance in the middle of that temptation, that's incredibly encouraging because he's not saying fight on your own and when you win, you can come and talk and we'll hang out together and we can have a relationship with one another. He's saying, no, I know you can't do it on your own. That's why Jesus says we should pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's an incredible promise that God has given us that if we turn to him and ask him for help in our times of trouble, he's willing and able and ready and eager to help us and to protect us. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the leaders of the early Christian church in the first century, he writes to, to the church in a city called Corinth, and he says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When I'm tempted, when you're tempted, one of the first things we need to do is fall down on our knees, either figuratively or, 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 or literally, and just say, Lord, I'm being tempted, and you've promised. You've promised that there's a way out. Help me to see that way out. Help me, at, when I see it, to be willing to follow it and not to be so proud as to try to fight it or do it on my own. There's a passage in the book of Hebrews, another one of the, the letters in the New Testament that's incredibly encouraging. The writer puts it this way. He says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. He's referring to Jesus. We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he didn't sin. Let us then, or let us therefore, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus was tempted in the same ways in which we're tempted, we know he can sympathize with us. He's not oblivious to the temptations we go through. He knows what it's like to be tempted and to be tested. And because he resisted that temptation, we can turn to him when we're tempted. And because he died, because he resisted the temptation to go for the glory without the cross, because he was willing to go to the cross, because he died, and then he rose, and then he was glorified, and then he was shown to be the Savior of the world, the King and ruler of the universe. Because he did that, we have hope of a restored relationship with God, forgiveness for our sins when we fail, when we fall, and of unbroken love from our Heavenly Father. And so we shouldn't hesitate for one second to turn to Him, both when we're tempted and even when we fail. As Michael mentioned when you came in today, uh, I hope you received a card with Matthew 6.13 on one side. If you didn't, grab it uh, as, you, as you head out. Matthew 6.13, a 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one on one side of the card. On the other side, there's the sentence that says, pray for protection for yourselves and others in both the physical and spiritual realms. God wants us to pray for protection. Many of us are eager to do it in the physical realm. Lord, keep me safe as I'm driving or flying or, or whatever it is. Good, we should be doing that. We should pray also for protection in the spiritual realm. Protect me from temptation. Protect me from being deceived. Protect me from trying to do things on my own without trusting in and following you. Use that card as a reminder this week and pray regularly for God's protection and for his deliverance from evil. The band's going to come up now, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. And as they're coming up and playing the opening bars of the song, let's just take a minute or so and pray. Just examine your heart, examine your life. Where are your vulnerabilities? Where are your weaknesses? Where do you repeatedly struggle? Think about the temptations you face and talk about that with God. Father, I am over and over and over again tempted in this area. Would you help me to see the way out that you've provided when I'm tempted? Would you give me the strength to resist that temptation? Would you deliver me from the evil one? Let's take a minute or so and pray.